Maybe you've noticed, and I've noticed too, but maybe you notice we have four marks to go and uh, two sessions, right? And the fair is tonight, so I, I, know, I know what I'm up against. Uh, but what we're going to do, we're going to try to, and if it doesn't work, we're going to make it through this tough time. But we're going to try to uh, hit the highlights of these next two, mark number uh, four, marks number four and uh, mark number five. And then tomorrow night, Lord willing, we'll look at Mark 6 and 7. We looked at a verse in Luke 9.23 where the Lord Jesus says this. It's the trifecta, it's the middle, the triad of these seven marks. And he says, anyone who wants to come after me, this is required. You must deny yourself. We talked about that last night uh, in honor of uh, uh, Nancy Reagan. The three-word summary of Mark number three was and is just say no. Just say no. We must deny ourselves. We must deny ourselves. We looked at Romans 6. We looked at Romans 6 and we looked at the, the three important words to summarize 1 through 14. No, K-N-O-W. No, consider and present. No, consider, present. A summary of Romans 6, 1 through 14. Tonight we're going to consider this statement from the Lord, the fourth of the marks or characteristics of a disciple of Christ. What does it really mean to every day take up our cross? What does it mean to take up our cross daily? The Lord Jesus says we're supposed to do it. In Luke, the word daily is mentioned, and so the reality is that it is likely that it means literally death. It could mean that. When the Lord Jesus thought about taking up His cross, He literally thought about His death, His death for our lives. And we need to be willing to do the same. Our lives for His death. But in order for us to do that daily, it's hard to die more than once. And so we might be called to martyrdom, but it's more likely that we're going to be called to taking up our crosses daily. And so what does that mean? What does that look like? If we were in the classroom, if we, which we are not, so I'm not giving you this handout, but there's an article by a guy named uh, Green, last name Green, and it's an article entitled, uh, The Meaning of Cross-Bearing. And in that article, he identifies some 19, 20 different renderings and meanings of what it means to take up one's cross. Some of them are, are ridiculous concepts for today. Others are very legitimate but in summary, the conclusion is that taking up one's cross daily has everything to do with being willing to submit and surrender. A statement of submission, a willingness to say, I surrender. I am willing to do anything and everything that you ask of me and that you call me to. Taking up our cross daily. I'd love to look at two passages quickly that have to do with this mark. And if time permits, and only if time permits, we'll consider what it means a little bit to follow the Lord Jesus as well. What's involved in following. So marks number four and five. Taking up our cross daily and following Him. Let's pray together, asking for God's gracious help again tonight. Father, we say thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the freedom we have. The freedom we have in a very beautiful place with uh, the family of God and folks who gather together that we have this freedom to open your word and to study it without persecution. 
without negative consequence. And so we say thank you for that. It's been a full day, Father, and we're wiped out and the sun sucks, us out, sucks it out of us. And so we pray that you'd help us to focus for a few minutes. Take away distractions and teach us whatever it is you want us to learn. Father, we pray that you'd convict and encourage and challenge as you desire and that we respond appropriately. So we ask for your help. In the name of Jesus, we pray these things. Amen. Amen. One verse I mentioned last night that I'd love to look at with you in, in a little bit more detail is Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Galatians 2, verse 20. Many of us have memorized this one along the way, whether we've been in Awana or part of a camp program or uh, the Navigator's uh, memory program. Galatians 2.20 is a significant verse. And in it we're going to find three paradoxes. Uh, what's a paradox? By the way, there seems to be, Dr. Dan doesn't there, there seems to be, upon initial reading, uh, a, 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 an, an apparent contradiction. On the one hand, it seems to be saying this, and yet on the other hand, it seems to be saying that. There's three of them that we're going to see in this all-important verse. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Let's look at the first. On the one hand, Paul makes it clear, and we talked about this last night, so we won't go into great detail, but on the one hand, in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, he says this, I've been crucified with Christ. I have been crucified with Christ. Whole crucifixion. When Christ died, I died. When He was buried, I was buried. When He arose, I arose. That took place the moment I trusted in Christ and when I was united with Him, identifying in His person. Remember we talked about last night, we should no longer live like we used to be because we are not who we used to be. The old is gone, the new has come. And so Paul says in 2.20 of Galatians, on the one hand, I've been crucified with Christ. But what does he say on the other hand? Nevertheless, I was. I live. Hold up. Which is it? I've been crucified with Christ, co-crucified with Christ on the one hand. Nevertheless, the reality is I'm still living. Here I am. Alive and well. My heart is beating. My brain waves are waving. And we are functioning. We are alive. And so Paul says, here's the thing. We have indeed been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, we live. And then he makes an all-important statement. Depending on the translation, I memorized it in the, the King James originally, and then again in the New King James. So I'll blend those likely tonight. But secondly, he says this, Yet not I. On the one hand, he says, Yet not I. It's not me really doing the living. Paradox number one, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, hey, hey, I'm alive. I live. But then he says, you know what? It's not really me doing the living. Yet not I, part two of paradox two, but Christ. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me, lives through me, liveth in me. So, so the, the things that appear to be our doing are ultimately His doing if it's a lifestyle that is pleasing to Him. We heard a great update today on what's going on with the Cody family and the, the, the big lessons that God has taught them over this last year. And, and one... Uh, one summary statement of those lessons is that, indeed, our sufficiency, our adequacy is in Christ. 
Our adequacy is not in ourselves to think that our sufficiency, our adequacy comes from ourselves. But our sufficiency, our adequacy is in Him. And so Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ on the one hand, nevertheless I live. Yet not I on the one hand, but Christ liveth in me. He's the one doing the living. The Holy Spirit is the one producing His fruits. As we present ourselves to God on a regular, consistent basis and say, I want you to live in and through me today. Remember last night we talked about, it's all about presentation. Paradox number three, he says this, In the life that I now live in the flesh, in the life that I now live in the flesh, that's not the bad flesh there, my friends. That's not the sin nature that we still struggle with. That's not the battle we saw in Galatians chapter 5. This is simply describing the body that we're living in. The life that I now live in the flesh, here's how I do that. Here's how we do that. The life that I now live in the flesh, paradox number three, the life that I now live in the flesh on one hand, on the other hand, I live it by faith. I live it by faith in the Son of God. What in the world does it mean for us to every day take up our cross, to daily take up our cross? Paul tells us in 2.20 of Galatians that we are supposed to now live a life of faith. And the life that I now live in the flesh, paradox number three, on the one hand, it seems like I'm doing the living. It seems like me in this body doing the living. But here's how we ultimately do it. We live it by faith in the Son of God. If you were to text my wife, if you were to, to tweet or reach out to her on Facebook, or if you were even to do this crazy concept, Talk to her face to face and ask her this question. Hey, Kate, what is one of the themes of your marriage? She would say three words, and it's not the summary of Mark number four, so hold the phone. But she would still say these two words. She would say, seek and trust. Seek and trust. If we told you our story, both our dating or courting days, if you will, uh, in our early days of marriage, in the 13 years of, that have been absolutely fantastic, we could tell, I'm telling you, we could tell you story after story of how we have had, how we have needed to say to all, the Almighty, we will seek you and we will trust you. The life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith. What is faith? What is faith? Do you remember when we went through the Hall of Faith a few years ago? Do you remember that? Anyone? Anyone? I remember it. We went through the Hall of Faith and we defined faith this way. Faith is believing in the reality and existence of God and responding in obedience to Him. Faith is coming to the point and place where we say, you know what? We believe you. We believe that you're real. We believe that you exist. And so we will respond in obedience to you. And we are willing to do anything and everything that you require of us. Daily, we will take up our crosses. And the life that I now live in the flesh, on the one hand, paradox number three, I live it by faith in the Son of God. Why should we do that? Two motivating factors as this verse closes. Two motivating factors. It says this, I live by faith in the right person, Faith in the Son of God who did what for us? 
who loved us and gave himself for us. It makes logical sense for us to do the same. To come to the point and come to the place where we say to the Almighty that we are willing to love him and give ourselves for him. The life that I now live in the flesh. I live by faith. It's a life of, of trust. It's a life of saying, I believe you and I take you at your word. And I will submit and I will surrender and I will obey. So whatever it is you have for me, whether it be death taking up our cross one time and dying, or whether it be life taking up our cross daily and saying, whatever you want. I love what was sung tonight. The special number. All the songs sung, but the special number uh, specifically. A statement of trust. A statement that says, I am willing to do what you want. I surrender all. Do you ever find yourself honestly and, and uh, truly singing accurately that song? Or should it be that we say, I surrender some. I surrender about 60% at this point. But everything... A willingness to say, you know what, I believe you, I trust you, and I will live a life of faith in you, Lord Jesus, the Son of God, because you loved me, and you gave yourself for me. I have several favorite passages, I'm sure you do as well, but one of those is uh, that simple, all-important truth in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. There's four verbs found there, three are for us, and one is what God promises to do. We are to trust. We are to not lean. We are to acknowledge. And He promises to do what? To direct or to make straight. What word is repeated four times in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6? Anyone? Anyone? That's not the word. It said twice. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Let's say it together. Trust in the Lord with all your hearts. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him. And He will direct your paths. There's an individual responsibility. There's a choice that we have to make moment by moment, day by day, that says this. Today, I will trust in you. There was a word that we, we sang tonight. Maybe you didn't catch it, so I'll remind you of it. It's the word holy. Holy. W-H. Holy. That we will wholly surrender. That we will wholly and completely trust. That we are willing to every day take up our cross and say to Him in a statement of surrender and submission, whatever you want. I choose to trust. It's an individual choice. Your, 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 your. We choose to do it. That's the life of faith. Saying to the Almighty One, I accept whatever it is you have for me. I will take up my cross daily. Let me ask you a question. Do you struggle making that statement? Whatever you want? 
Thy will be done. Anybody struggle with making that statement? Today, whatever it is you want me to experience, go through, whatever it is you want me to do or be, I'll do it. I struggle with that statement. Struggle making that statement, to be honest and true with you, to you. Because sometimes I wonder what that really will look like. And what that really will cost. And what He will really be asking me to do for His namesake and glory. What will that cross-bearing mean for me? My life, being willing to say, I will give you my life because of your death. You loved me and you gave yourself for me. There's a great movie. The Christian community has, has adopted it as one of theirs. Uh, entitled Princess Bride. See? There's a scene in this movie uh, where there is a princess, right? Her name is, uh, I forget. Thanks for your help. Princess Buttercup, and there's an individual, a farm boy, if you will, and I will, who is in uh, much like of Princess Buttercup, and uh, his name was Farm Boy, help me, Wesley, Wesley. So Princess Buttercup and Farm Boy Wesley, they, uh, they were uh, very much into each other, but they hadn't yet defined the relationship, if you will. And so there was an occasion where that needed to take place. And so Princess Buttercup was gracious enough to assist farm boy Wesley down the sloping side of a hill, if you will. And as he rolled uh, down the hill, his uh, declaration, the defining of the relationship, took place in three simple words. By the way, it is the summary for Mark number four. If you know the three words, don't hesitate to join right in. Farm boy Wesley, as he rolled, declared this, As you wish. As you wish. Cross-bearing. Daily taking up our cross. Requires such a statement. As you wish. You see, I've been crucified, and so have you, if you know Christ. We've been crucified with Christ, co-crucified. Nevertheless, we live, we're still alive. Yet not us, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, there is only one way to do that. I live by faith in the Son of God. Trusting Him, believing Him, being willing to accept His forgiveness, salvation through faith, and to live a life of faith, knowing that without it, it's impossible to please Him. And we have motivation. He loved us and gave Himself for us. Luke 22, just for a moment. Wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be great if we had an example from the Savior? An example from the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is, hear me say, who is fully God and is fully man, yet without sin, seated right now at the right hand of the Father, to be clear. Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, yet without sin, went through an experience that was more challenging and, than, and difficult than any of ours. Have you ever noticed that he often would say, my hour has not yet come. My hour has not yet come. My hour has not yet come. And then at the end of his earthly ministry, he recognized and realized 
it had come. And there's a scene where the Lord Jesus is in the garden, anticipating in his complete deity and perfect humanity what would take place in the coming hours. Luke 22 says this, And he came out and proceeded as was his custom to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples also followed him. When he arrived at the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and began to pray, saying, Father, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me, yet not my will, but your will be done. Now an angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him. Verse 44, let's laser in just for a moment. What was the Lord Jesus Christ going through as he was praying this prayer and asking the significant request of the Father? What was he experiencing? This, word, this verse describes it well. And being in agony. Have you been in agony before? Not like this, I don't. And being in agony, he was praying very fervently. Have you ever prayed that way? We have. Can you imagine the Savior praying this way as he was in agony? And his sweat became like drops of blood falling down upon the ground. I read a book describing this reality, and it, and it described the... the anguish, the agony, and the, the heartache that the Lord Jesus was going through this way. Have you ever had a night that, that's been terribly restless and you cannot be still? You know what that's like when you're anticipating something, something that is going to be a great challenge, and you just cannot be still, and you're rolling around, you can't settle. Anybody ever been there? The description of the Savior was very much like this, and the, uh, the commentator wrote it this way and, and said, and falling down and getting back up, and falling down and getting back up, and falling down and getting back up was the Savior's experience. Being in agony, this inner turmoil that the Lord Jesus was dealing with in His complete deity and perfect humanity, having never sinned, he was going through anguish as he anticipated two specific things. The physical reality, no doubt, that he would experience in hours uh, to follow. But also this concept of the cup. That was the specific request. Father, if there is any way, let this or may this cup pass. The cup represents what, my friend? When we think about the cup and how it's described in the Old Testament and as we understand it to be described here as well, it represented and represents the wrath of God against our sin. The wrath of God against our sin. The Lord Jesus was anticipating that in His complete deity and perfect humanity, knowing that that was coming, 
knowing what he was going to do for you and, and for me. He loved us and gave himself for us. And the Lord Jesus, the Lord Jesus said, Father, as he's learning perfect obedience, by the way, he says, Father, is there any way that this cup can pass? Nevertheless, nevertheless, thy will be done. Nevertheless, I'm willing to say, as you wish. If time permitted, and it doesn't, but if time permitted, I can tell you story after story of what very cross-bearing daily means for folks that I know and folks that you know. And most often, it doesn't mean death. Most often, it means this is how we will live for Christ. And a willingness to say, as you wish, whatever you would have for me. A statement of submission and surrender to the Lord Jesus. Not our wills, but thy will be done. As you wish. There's a passage in our closing moments that I'd like to look at as we consider uh, the fifth mark, just for a moment. Uh, perhaps we'll say a bit more tomorrow evening uh, as well. Love for you to turn in, in your Bibles to Joshua chapter 14. Joshua chapter 14. And as you're turning to Joshua chapter 14, let me mention uh, part of my college experience. Shocker, but I went to Emmaus Bible College in 1987 to 1991. And one of my instructors was uh, someone that many of you know, uh, knew, and, and loved dearly, Dr. Dave Reed. And Dr. Dave Reed taught us a class entitled, several classes, but one I'm thinking of, entitled Old Testament Servant. And it was our responsibility, and he would, uh, he would randomly call on us to stand before the, the class and demonstrate this, and to do it in a timely fashion. He was a competitive soul. We were to go through the walkthrough, the whole Old Testament walkthrough, creation, fall, flood, nations, and so forth. And when we would get to the kings of Israel, uh, they were remembered this way. They were remembered this way. We'd get, to, we'd get to Saul and the phrase that we were to remember. Does anybody remember? For Saul, those who had Dr. Dave back in the day, for Saul it was no heart. For David it was all heart or whole heart. For Solomon it was half heart, 40, 40, 40, 120 years. That's how we remember those kings. Saul, no heart. David, whole heart, all heart. Solomon, half heart. 40, 40, 40, 120 years. Let me ask you this question. If you had to describe the condition of your heart as it relates to following after the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, following after our God, an Old Testament passage for our consideration tonight, how would your heart condition be described? No heart, like Saul. Half heart, like Solomon. Or all heart. All heart, like David. Chapter 14 of Joshua is actually Caleb's chapter, right? I love this chapter. Chapter where Caleb says, you know what, I remember what happened back in the day. And uh, truth be known, I want my land. I want my mountain. I want what was promised to me. We've sung songs about this, right? 
12 men went to spy on Cain. We sing songs like that. I was 40 years old, Caleb writes, chapter 14 of Joshua. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. And here's what I did. I, Caleb, here's what I did. I came back and I brought word back to him as it was in my heart. You see, I went into the land and I thought, with God, we can do this. With God, we can do this. I'm all in. By the way, do you know what Caleb's name means? One rendering is dog. I have a nephew named Caleb. One rendering of the name Caleb is dog. Another rendering, by the way, that's for loyal life qualities. Uh, another reference is this rendering, meaning of the name Caleb is, watch this, don't miss this, all hearts or whole hearts. Isn't that great? If you had to describe your heart condition tonight, as it relates to your following after, to our following after the Almighty in His Son, the Lord Jesus, how would our heart description be? What would our heart description be? Caleb says this, And I brought word back to him as it was in my heart. Nevertheless, my brethren who went up with me made the heart of the people melt with fear. Here Caleb says, I came back with a good word and said, we can do this. I'm all in. But the other people said, I don't know. They were pretty big and I'm not sure we can take them. And it made the, the hearts of the people melt. But what does it say about Caleb in the end of verse 8? He says it of himself in the end of verse 8. But I follow the Lord my God. What, what is the word there to end the verse? Wholeheartedly. Does anybody have fully, fully, wholeheartedly, anything else tonight? We're in the book of Joshua. It's still before 8 o'clock. What do you have at the end of uh, verse 8? What word? Holy, with the W. Wholeheartedly or fully. Caleb describes himself that way. That way. That's how I'm following after God, he said. Listen to what it says next, verse 9. So Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land on which your foot has trodden shall be an inheritance to you and to your children forever. So Moses makes a declaration too. Not only Caleb uh, said something about his heart condition and how he was willing to follow God, but Moses said it too of Caleb. Listen to what it says, the end of verse 9. Because you have followed the Lord, my God, fully, wholeheartedly, wholly. What's his name mean? All heart. All heart. Hang with me for the next several verses. Now behold, the Lord has let me live just as he spoke. This happened a few years ago, by the way. And so he's reminiscing a bit and saying, I want my land. Now behold, the Lord has let me live just as He spoke these 40, 45 years. From the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses, when Israel walked in the wilderness, and now behold, I am 85 years old today. Happy birthday, Caleb! How many years have passed? Simple math. How many? 45. Thanks for coming. 45 years! And he remembers the reality. You know what kind of shape he was in, fellas? Listen to this. None of us can say this. I know it to be true. I've been watching. Listen to what it says. I am still today, he says. Happy birthday, Caleb, 85 years old. Verse 11. I am still as strong today 
as I was in the day Moses sent me. As my strength was then at forty, so my strength is now for war and for going out and coming in. I know some of us want that to be the case. And I know some of us think that is the case. But I know certainly that it is not the case. But for Caleb, he said, I'm 85 and I can still bring it. So let's battle. Let's go to war. Caleb is all heart. End of verse 14. Therefore, Hebron became the inheritance of Caleb. Why? Why? Because he followed the Lord God of Israel fully. Holy. Wholeheartedly. With all his heart. When the Lord Jesus called the disciples to follow him, they responded immediately. They responded obediently. They responded and left all personal interests behind. They responded and realized that they should not live a life of comparison with other people. Remember the, the prophetic statement that was given to Peter? This is how you are going to die. This is how you are going to be crucified. And he, out of respect for his Savior, the one, in whom, the one whom he denied, he was crucified upside down. Knew that he was going to be crucified and would die that way, bringing glory to God. But when he got this news, his response was not, and I love this about Peter, his response was not fantastic. I'm happy to go out that way. What was his response? What did he say once the Savior told him, here's how you're going to die. Here's how you're going to be crucified. Someone else is going to wrap you up and you're going to end your life in this particular way. And you're going to glorify me this way. What did he say? What about John? What about John? I love reading John. And I love the little, the little angst between John and Peter. You ever notice that? Why does John have to say, listen, I'm faster than Peter. I got the, to the two more quickly than he does. Why did he have to do that? The one whom Jesus loved. Who's writing that? John. Come on. Listen, turn, turn to the passage. I know what time it is. You're okay. Turn to the passage. We're closing. I made it this time. Peter turned around, verse 20, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved. Who's writing this? John, come on. Peter turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. The one also, let me just add a little special interest. The one also who had leaned his back on his bosom at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? So Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, Lord, and what about this man? And Jesus said this, verse 22. If I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? Following, my friends, has everything to do with walking in his steps. You know who said that? Peter. That we've been given an example. The one who has suffered for us. He's left for us an example. That he would, three word summary for Mark number five, we got it in there. That we would walk in his steps. If I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. 
With how much of our hearts are we willing to say to our God and the Lord Jesus that we are willing to follow? No heart, half heart, or all heart, whole heart, holy hearted, whole hearted. What is that to you? You follow me. Our Father God, we ask that you would help us to be willing to surrender. We ask that you help us to be willing to pledge allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ and respond to his invitation to follow him with all of our hearts. Father, we thank you for examples from your word, examples from our walks and experiences and lives of people who have done so, who have followed you with all their hearts. And may we be guilty of doing the same. May we be wholehearted, all heart. May we wholly follow you. We thank you for the example that the Lord Jesus has left for us. And we sincerely ask that you would help us to walk in his steps. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.